Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Alabama AgCast. I'm William Green, Director of the Wildlife Division for the Alabama Farmers Federation. And this week, uh, I'm excited to introduce our guest, a friend of the organization, uh, Mr. Lee Stevens, the Assistant State Director for APHIS Wildlife Services. Leaf, I appreciate you being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about being on the podcast with y'all today. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's always great. Um, I know we're agriculture organization in the state, but I always appreciate getting to bring a little wildlife into the conversation and uh, maybe change up the podcast every now and then. So I uh, appreciate you being with us. I, I guess really before we get started with the meat and potatoes of the conversation, uh, maybe for some of our listeners who aren't as familiar with wildlife services, but probably know y'all's sister organization, NRCS, a little bit better. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the agency and maybe your organization and, and what y'all do? Absolutely. Um, you know how different departments are with the, with the federal uh, agencies, and they've got different various programs and a lot of times I don't even really know what federal programs are out there that could provide service to to actual people and civilians. With us we are uh, with the United States Department of Agriculture underneath the Department of Agriculture fall underneath an agency called APHIS which stands for Animal Plant and Health Inspection Service and then underneath that another break um, that will be us the Wildlife Services Program and essentially, our role, goal, mission in life is resolving human and wildlife conflicts and also implementing the wildlife damage management strategies when pertinent. Um, essentially, there's a wildlife services program in every state. And of course, each state's got different problems or different animals. Um, with us, we contend with uh, feral swine, Canada geese, nutria pigeons, coyotes, urban deer, comorants, basically any kind of wildlife that's causing problems out west. They contend with wolves, uh, mountain lions, and, uh, and critters of that nature. Um, we provide, we basically protect four different categories, broad categories, one being agriculture, obviously, the next one, property, human health and safety, and then the last one, natural resources. And the natural resources is kind of in the realm of protecting threatened and endangered species. How we do this is we essentially offer two different types of services. One's technical assistance, which is basically anybody that's having a problem with a critter, wildlife, uh, come in contention with, with one of those furry or feathered rascals, we'll provide them guidance on how to resolve those conflicts. And then the next service is is really us implementing a wildlife damage management strategy and in, in, uh, controlling whether a species that's causing the conundrum. Um, when we're implementing operational controls, we try to look at a diverse way in trying to manage those species. And what I mean by that is we incorporate a, an integrated management approach that incorporates potentially exclusion techniques, repellents, habitat management, and uh, lastly, population control. Um, a couple things that people don't know about our program is we've got national programs that provide 
each state program guidance on trying to resolve certain conflicts. One, one being our, our research uh, branch, which is the NWRC, National Wildlife Research Center. They do a lot of uh, experimentation with various traps and, and different management strategies on various different uh, critters and animals, uh, depending on the, the, the state that you're in. Another aspect is the disease program. We've got a national disease program that provides us guidance and gives us kind of a, a rule of thumb on disease surveillance activities within the states. Um, for us in Alabama, we do a lot of disease surveillance for feral swine currently, uh, looking at pseudorabies, brucellosis, and classical swine fever. Uh, some other programs is the airport management program, our, our aviation program that uh, oversees all aviation activities within uh, nationally within wildlife services, and then our national feral swine program and our, our rabies program as well. Yeah, um, y'all y'all are, y'all are into a, a whole lot uh, of different um, projects or programs. I, I I've probably told you this story before. I remember being a freshman at Auburn, sitting in my intro to wildlife sciences class and we had different speaker every week come in and one of your uh, colleagues Dana Johnson came to give kind of a overview very similar to what you're doing uh, for a bunch of uh, 18 19 year old 18 19 year old um, wildlife science students um, and and Dana was showing videos of, of kind of y'all's uh, day-to-day job or whether y'all were um, blowing up beaver dams or shooting coyotes or taking care of wild hogs and I, I distinctly remember about halfway through uh, the um, presentation, one of my classmates could raise his hand. He was like, hey, uh, Mr. Johnson, just a quick question. You mean to tell me this is your full-time job? Uh, and ever since then, I've I have always had just the, the biggest uh, respect for y'all. And, and honestly, y'all just have the coolest job. Uh, I always think that it's um, you know awesome that y'all get to do this while providing a really much-needed service to Alabama's landowners and, and farmers. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, going through, I graduated from University of Georgia with my master's degree, and, you know, originally when I got my undergrad degree, I was, I wanted to make frog skins. I wanted to to make some money. I wanted to get out of uh, college and into the workforce, and originally, I, I, I migrated to Atlanta and was an environmental consultant. Well, my background, I like to deal with, uh, furry creatures and our feathered friends and the environmental consulting uh, business was not my forte. So I went back to school and and actually found out about wildlife services and and it was a very unique fit and um, it's very diverse. And I was happy to go back, get my master's degree and, and become introduced into the wildlife services arena. So very, very interesting. Yeah, it it absolutely is. Uh, And I guess, Talking specifically Alabama, and I know um, people may find it interesting to know, too, that, that the Alabama office uh, is over the, the Caribbean territories as well, uh, which we may talk about here in a little bit. But for Alabama specifically, what are the, the main human wildlife conflict uh, areas that, that y'all focus on, maybe the top three or four? For uh, on the Alabama, on the state side of things, uh, not considering the, the territories that we got uh, employees in, which would be Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico, but the main species that we deal with in, in the state would be obviously feral swine. Um, another species would be beavers. We've got a lot of, uh, actually, we've got 
seven employees that are dedicated to beaver management activities in the state. With the feral swine aspect, we've actually got um, around 20 employees. That, that's their main jobs, managing feral swine. And, and half of those employees are are around the farm bill. We'll probably get into that in a little bit. Um, and then urban coyotes and Canada geese as well. Those are some of the main species that we deal with in the state. When you say Canada geese, uh, you kind of hit on earlier, but I, I know that um, most people may not realize how big of a problem they are for our airports in the state. Um, talk a little bit about the, the work y'all do with airports and Canada geese and, and I guess Dove to some extent too. So with the airports, and airports is a, is, a, is a great example on how you can implement different management strategies uh, in trying to minimize wildlife strikes or aircraft. Of course, airports are travel corridors for people. Ideally, you don't want any kind of wildlife on an airport environment. Uh, obviously, that, that can't be achieved. So you look at various different things, habitat management, what can you uh, do to the actual habitat, the airfield grass, how can you manage it to discourage beast species? What does your perimeter fence look like? Using exclusion techniques to keep deer and whatnot off your air, airport. Um, obviously harassment, using non-lethal techniques to discourage critters uh, on the airport environment. Um, We've got five employees that are basically stationed on airports. That's their full-time jobs, ma managing wildlife on airports. This past year, I believe we've done work on, on 15 airports, um, of which, like I said, five five employees that are doing the lion's share of that, that type of work. But that's a, a very unique program, uh, obviously protecting human health and safety, and that's what we strive to do and, and achieve the best results in We'll be back with uh, more questions, conversation with Leaf after a word from our sponsors. It's never a dull day on the farm, especially when your day starts before the sun comes up. We're Alabama Ag Credit, and while some don't get it, we do. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, we've helped farmers finance everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes your natural resources need financial resources. So let's talk a little bit about some agricultural-specific programs. Um, most folks listening to this, obviously, are going to be um, true farmers uh, or producers. Um, I know you and I have gotten to work on some different projects covering really anything from, from beavers to um, black vulture depredation of calves in, in North Alabama. Um, how, or I guess you say, what are some of the biggest projects you'll have going with active producers in the state? One would be on the western side, obviously assisting the, the aquaculture producers with um, issues with fish-eating birds, comorants, double-crested comorants, white pelicans, those type uh, rascals. And essentially, we've got uh, three dedicated employees that provide assistance to aquaculture producers. Uh, you know, we've got around 70 to 80 producers in the state on the western side. And the way that we administer that service is to do roost dispersals when the comrades are most active and being on those producers' facilities. We also do on-site assistance as well. We also provide assistance with uh, obtaining depredation permits for producers who would like to get a depredation permit to minimize uh, that, that damage from comrades or, or white pelicans or blue herons and whatnot. 
So that's one aspect, aquaculture. Uh, another aspect, another part of our program is obviously feral swine assistance. Like I said, we've got a, a fair bit of a workforce that's dedicated to feral swine and feral swine management activities. Um, essentially, right now, we provide a cost share program to anybody that's requesting assistance. What the cost share program, in a nutshell, it's us providing 50% of the upfront cost in implementing a damage management strategy. And that's actually us going out there and managing, trapping the feral swine, removing the feral swine off the landscape and, and minimizing damages uh, associated with those, those rascals. This past year with the cost shares and also with Farm Bill, I think we removed about 6,500 pigs off the landscape. Um, that's great. And yeah, it, but it, it's a, it's a, it's a drop in a bucket, you know, Sure. 6,500 pigs. There's a lot of pigs out there, you know, essentially there's pigs in almost every County in the state now with the, the heavier being impacted down in the South. Consequently, that's where a lot of our agricultural is down South. And that's where the lion's share of our, our um, employees are. It's down South trying to provide assistance to those landowners who are, getting affected by those uh, feral swine. I, so those would be two two big things for us right there. Since, since we're there, I, I, I know that a lot of people uh, are probably more, most interested in the, the feral swine programs. Um, let's talk just kind of briefly about uh, what some of y'all's tools are. You know, the the common saying that, that we say a lot when you're managing wildlife pigs, or excuse me, wild pigs is, you know, there is no silver bullet. There's just a different tool in the toolbox that we can use for different producers, different landowners. Um, I, I know that you've got some flashy options, uh, such as aerial gunning, uh, but but really, I, I guess, and you'll probably cover this, is, is the main one that works is our whole sounder removal. So if you don't mind, kind of go in depth a little bit, uh, just briefly, and talk about some of the management strategies you use to, to help folks with wild pigs so if managing pigs feral swine there's there's not a a one tool that would fit every problem out there um we all we oftentimes incorporate a lot of different removal techniques um and not just pigeonhole ourselves into one management strategy one by and large it would be trapping in the whole sonder removal obviously um if you if you're trapping in an area that's got feral swine, it's be more advantageous and more efficiently to, to uh, establish traps and, and try to capture the whole feral swine or the whole sounder. Um, what, what I've been preaching to our guys is if you're waiting to catch that last pigs for two, that, that last pig of the sounder that won't go on a trap, um, if you've been waiting for two to three weeks just to get that last pig in there, go ahead and catch what you can because while while you're waiting, those pigs are causing damage. And we don't like damage. Right. We wanna we wanna minimize damage. So we catch what we can, or we try to get with the whole sonder uh removal in mind, but if we can't get it, we'll implement maybe another different technique, which will be sharpshooting. And we do a little bit of sharpshooting through the state, and then obviously the, the, the aerial gunning as well is a, is a different aspect, just another management tool that's an additive approach to managing feral swine. And it, with aerial gunning, it, it, like you said, it's not a silver bullet, but in certain areas it works really well. But it, you've got to have the right area, the right, right. habitat, and the, white, and the right weather as well for it to be uh, a good management tool. 
I, I know a lot of people probably have, have seen uh, and heard about the new Feral Swan Control Pilot Program uh, where y'all are working hand-in-hand um, -hand with Soil and Water Conservation Committee and NRCS and, and some local partners um, in, in three different areas, uh, one being Wiregrass, Gulf Coast, uh, and the other, the, I guess the last would be over in the Black Belt. Um, if you don't mind, talk talk a little bit about that as well, and, and kind of give folks kind of a, a brief overview uh, of of what the goal is for for the FSCP. The new farm bill got passed for us, and the, the farm bill got passed in 2018. And inside that farm bill, it allocated 75 nationally 75 million to NRCS and APIS, which will be us Wildlife Services to implement pilot projects in states that have uh, higher densities of pigs. NRCS and APHIS split that money. 37.5 went to APHIS Wildlife Services and 37.5 went to NRCS. We are supposed to work together and have been working together since uh, last fiscal year in trying to come up and implement these pilot projects in the state. Now that 37.5 million each state had to apply to get a little piece of that pie and come up with good pilot projects within the state. And the, the areas that you're referring to, the wiregrass, that was one pilot project that we had that covers Houston and Henry County. And it's basically with all of our uh, pilot projects, we're looking at implementing management strategies, providing manpower and landowner assistance uh, through cost shares with uh, soil and water uh, conservation districts and providing um, traps and whatnot to trap feral swine on, on these areas or in these pilot project areas. So it's a watershed approach. Um, in the wiregrass, like I said, it's primarily Henry and Houston County. Inside that county, it's not the whole county. Um, it's a designated watershed. If you're in that designated watershed, then uh, we could come out and help remove feral swine off the landscape. And also, you could you could uh, sign up for the, the landowner cost share um, with the traps. The other ones are Baldwin, the Gulf Coast, Baldwin County, which covers Baldwin and Escambia County, and then the Black Belt, which is Sumter County. So like I said, we've got basically 12 dedicated employees that are, that are on the ground in these pilot project areas within these designated watersheds controlling pigs. And the idea is to try to eliminate uh, the damages in these watersheds to see if it can be done, you know, because of the, the way the, the pigs reproduce and whatnot, it's always been a head scratcher. If you, if you pull out all the stops, could you really eliminate swine in, in designated areas? And this is what we're trying to accomplish to see if it can be done. Right. So I, I guess my last question for you, Leif, is how do folks get assistance? I mean, how, what what can they do to, whether it's beavers or Canada geese or wild pigs, how do they contact y'all and get involved with uh, wildlife services? You can do that very easily. You can shoot us an email. We've got an actual national um, and, and, a, and a state website that you can get on. Um, for general assistance, you can contact our state office. 334-844-8029 for aquaculture. It'd be best to do the Northport District. That's where um, the main issues are. It's 205-632-3981. And then if you're interested in the farm bill, get more information about that and, and see if your property is in these designated 
uh, pilot project areas, it'd be best to contact the local soil and water offices to see if you would have qualify for these program for that program. That's great. Well, I'll be sure to make sure we get all that uh, added to our show notes. Uh, Leif, I certainly appreciate your time this morning and, and joining us uh, for this episode of the AgCast. Um, for everybody who, who's listening today, um, I, I say this um, tell, tell a lot of folks that you know wildlife services are really one of my favorite agencies to get to work with. Um, I can't recommend them enough. What whatever you need as far as a wildlife conflict uh, resolution, um, you, you can't go wrong calling Ken Lee for anybody else at wildlife services. So uh, on behalf of the organization, we appreciate what y'all do for our producers every day. Absolutely. We appreciate y'all as well. Y'all are a fantastic partner to have in the state. Thanks, Lee. Appreciate everybody joining us today and look forward to talking to you next time. And now, your weekly AgCast wrap-up. In this week's weekly wrap-up, we welcome Catfish Farmers of America Executive Vice President and President of the Catfish Institute, Roger Barlow. I'm Mitt Walker with the Federation. Roger, as we turn the page to a new year, what's on uh, top of mind for catfish farmers? Well, thank you, Mitt. And as we do enter the new year, we can only hope for stability. Uh, last year, COVID-19, it really took our catfish industry on a roller coaster of a ride. Uh, markets at the restaurant, which constitutes some 60 to 70% of our sales, well, they virtually ceased to exist. And while the markets at the grocery store, they remained stable, but then they started increasing and the, le- the levels actually were stronger than we've seen in a number of years. And I think that was because more people were cooking at home. And, uh, you know, I think that was a a real benefit for us, but it really wasn't enough, Mitt. And we were so thankful that that our farmers received assistance from the federal government that you were involved in and helping us get. And that's basically how our producers of catfish were able to survive. Looking forward into this year, Fish prices at the pond, they remain in a very positive position. But as with all commodities, we're a function of supply and demand. And we're very grateful that our American consumer wants to know where their catfish is grown and by whom. You look also at feed prices, they make up some 50 to 65% of the cost of growing a pound of catfish. And when grain prices go up like they have recently, uh, well, that means that the price of our catfish feed goes up as well. I think if we had a perfect world, you would see that the the price of grain would go up or down and that would be reflective in the price that our farmers receive, but we don't. So we must create demand for our product with the consumer. And you know, Mitt, demand is, is currently strong for our fish And our farmers, Alabama farmers, Mississippi farmers, Louisiana farmers, Arkansas farmers, they're doing an excellent job of growing a truly outstanding product. And our public, they want an American catfish that's produced by an American farmer for the American consumer. Well, Roger, you talked a lot about the consumer and uh, one of your hats is um, serving as president of the Catfish Institute. And, And your role is to try to connect the industry to the consumer um, can you tell us briefly about some of the projects that are going on at TCI that help consumers understand more about U.S. farm-raised catfish? Well, Mitch, you're right. Uh, the role of the Catfish Institute is to keep that top-of-the-mind awareness. 
and we all know that statistically 95% of all the fish and the seafood that we're, that's consumed in this country is imported. But thankfully, uh, our catfish is 100% inspected by USDA, and that's a tremendous benefit for us. But also, as you mentioned, the Catfish Institute, they must work diligently to inform and educate the public on the benefits of our industry. We do this, Mitt, in a number of ways, which include promotions on the versatility, the ease of preparation, and the health benefits of U.S. farm-raised catfish. We use many vehicles to do this. We use television, billboards, radio, celebrity spokesperson, print advertising, or sponsorship of events. And we do this to where we're reaching our consumers with our message. Also, Mitt, social media is taking more and more of this role whether it's online videos featuring our recipes or our catfish's life series, where we go to where the catfish is grown and we talk to the men and women and families who make this industry so great. These videos, I think, are fantastic and they're truly inspirational. Uh, we're always looking though, Mitt, for new ways and innovative ways to connect our industry and our products with the public. We just began a new program called Cat, the Catfish Trail, where we go out and we interview restaurants that proudly serve U.S. farm-raised catfish, and we go behind the scenes and we ask them why they're using U.S. farm-raised catfish and where they're located and how can consumers purchase their catfish. We're, we're I think, Mitt, kind of in summary, we're excited about 2021 and the future for our industry. Yeah, there's gonna be some challenges, uh, but our farmers and our processors, our feed mills and our researchers, uh, you know, they're gonna meet these challenges and we as an industry of U.S. farm-raised catfish, we will prevail. Well, Roger, I greatly appreciate you taking time to join us today. We're just about out of time, but I wanna thank you again for coming on and for all the great work you do on behalf of the catfish industry and particularly our farmers here in Alabama. Thanks so much for being with us, Roger. Thank you, Mitt, and uh, appreciate all that you do to help this industry. Alabama AgCast is sponsored by our friends at Alabama AgCredit. Give them a call for all your farm and land financing needs. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash agcast be sure to follow alabama farmers federation on facebook twitter and instagram tune in next week for another timely conversation from alabama agcast